Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM, brought to you this week by Eero. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason Snell. Hi, Stephen. How's it going? It's good. I, I was reading that, and I've read this now. We One of us have read this 65 times, and mm-hmm. I had the thought, if you're a rocket scientist... Do you listen to space podcasts? Because like we're both in technology, but we listen to a lot of tech podcasts. I wonder if this is the same as oh, yeah. across uh, across the spectrum of people. Well, I mean, we we know we have listeners who work in the space industry and, and have and and we want and brought one of them on as a guest. I I think that's why it's phrased that you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You can be. We're not saying mm. rocket scientists shouldn't listen. We're just saying that 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 it's not mandatory that you have a degree in rocketry if that's a thing to do this. Yeah, that's all. That's all we mean. It's good. I'm glad we've clarified that after two years of the show. <laughs> uh huh. No, no, it's good to it's good to, to to think about it every now and then. In fact, I just I said at the beginning of the show, just for fun, I said brought to you this week. But it's, and then you immediately say it's fortnightly. So yeah. why did I say this week? Mm. Is is our sponsor not valid next week? <laughs> I think it is. it is. So I I'm gonna have to change that too. Well, you know, 65 episodes. We're always trying to make the podcast better. Um, speaking of which. We have more Apollo today, which is exciting. And I had a moment yesterday when I thought uh, we didn't have much else to talk about but Apollo. <laughs> and I woke up this morning excited that it was liftoff day and realized there was so much space news that happened that uh, I put like five things in our in our rundown before we got started. So, And I'm excited about it. There's a lot of weird space news happening that I kind of, it's going to be fun to talk about. So I guess we should get started. Yeah, we're going to start with rockets and satellites, and then we're going to move to planets and moons. How about that? It's a good progression. Love it. It's good. That's how you get there. <laughs> that is, that's, that's true. Falcon Heavy had its static fire... Everything went well. There's video of it floating around. It's a lot of steam and smoke and noise as these things look great. These things go. Apparently, sounded great. And uh, SpaceX says the launch should be February sixth. So check back on our second March episode when it's actually happened, and we can talk about it then. See what I did? I made a joke about that. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little Elon Musk joke there. Maybe April. No, I'm hoping it goes off. I have to admit, I got a little bit of the space fever. I had a moment where I thought, how much would it be? Oh, no. to like fly oh, to no. uh, Orlando and go see the, because it's going to be Falcon heavy is going to be spectacular when it goes oh, yeah. off. I mean, the SLS if in 2029, when it finally launches will be uh, even potentially more spectacular, but like this is the uh, biggest rocket to go off since the Saturn five. And uh, I saw the space shuttle launch from there. Right. But this is totally, this is more, this is more than that. Um, and I, I thought about it and then I thought that's, bananas because what would happen is i'd take a whole day to get to florida um and then the next day they wouldn't launch it yeah (laughs) and then i'd go home that would be my trip to florida (laughs) so because i'm not going to hang around in florida for a week or something like that that's not going to happen and i realized a lot of people i'm talking to especially space journalists who are who are going they are east coasters so it's a little bit easier to hop down mm-hmm. from new york to florida right. than it is to go all the way from california so i i i restrained myself from uh continuing to look into what it would cost to fly to orlando for now i would love to see that thing go off sometime one of these days you and i will try to go to a launch somewhere sometime but not not uh not, not yet. this time we should do that uh, we're going to talk about NASA social in a little while, but I, I've seen a SpaceX launch. I saw a Falcon 9 go off. That Falcon 9 then exploded on the way to the space station, but that's not part of the story. But even the single Falcon 9 
it's the only launch I've ever seen, but it was incredible. I can't imagine having three of them basically Velcroed together, what that'll sound like. No. Mm-hmm. Don't use Velcro. It's bad. They, they, it melts. They use super glue now. <laughs> oh, like I'm a little that. behind. Uh, tell us tell us about <laughs> NASA Gold. Is it a thing? Is it not a thing? What is happening? Oh, my God. Okay, so we talk a lot about um, different companies that are doing satellite launches. There are a lot of new uh, companies, but the European... Uh, I, I I need to look this up. Ariane Space is the name of the company. I think it's a European venture. I don't know how it's directly related to uh, European Space Agency. But anyway, they launch a lot of stuff. And they launch from French Guiana in South America. Um, so a, a more equatorial location to do launches. They, they, you know, the European space agency you know they can't launch really from europe because it's well they could but it's like they 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 built this thing in, in french guiana and that's where they launch these things off and and they are a player major player in launching things into orbit so they have an Ariane 5 rocket and it's got two communication satellites and a thing called gold which is the nasa uh let, let's see i i'm not going to even go into what the acronym is it will image the boundary of earth's atmosphere and will measure the temperature and composition of gases in earth's thermosphere so it is an earth analysis satellite it's all about our atmosphere i, th- I think you did i think you you skipped over. it's not that bad of an acronym as far as nasa Do, well, goes what, what it is, is it? global scale <laughs> hyphen okay. so it's one word Global scale observations of the limb and disc. Gold. Pretty good. Okay. <laughs> that could just be like so tilled. So I, I guess gold is better than that. Anyway, so great. They're gonna they're gonna look at the at the limb and the disc of the earth. It's gonna be awesome. Um and also two communication satellites. And the Ariane 5 goes up and it's like, yeah, this is great. And they go to the upper stage and all contact is lost from the ground. That's it. Good night, everybody. We our, our our rocket is dead. We're gone. The story is over. Uh, hope you had insurance. They they do for your satellites and your your gold instrument. And okay, right. This happens in space. It's fine. But then something very weird happened, which is later they got confirmation from the satellites and gold that they had been deployed and were now in orbit. <laughs> so. So apparently the Ariane 5 upper stage had a major anomaly, but it still was, it was not talking to the ground, but it still went on its way and released the, uh, deployed the the satellites properly. Well, ish, they're not in the right orbit. Mm -hmm. And that means they're going to have to use a lot of their propellant because satellites have propellant on board to like move around their orbits some and in order to get these satellites and gold into the right places, they're going to have to use a lot of their propellant, uh, apparently, which will shorten their long-term lives. They will run out of propellant and not be able to move around. But it's better than them being completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. I imagine their insurance adjusters will adjust accordingly for the reduction in life or something like that. But uh, it seems to have not I mean, if you're going to have a major anomaly with a rocket taking things into orbit— this seems like almost the best case scenario, which is it just worked. <laughs> sort of. Mostly. This was playing out in real time on space Twitter. And so people mm-hmm. were like, oh, there's this launch. You see some pictures. Oh, no. Everything's everything's gone. And then, oh, actually, they uh, they called home anyway. So, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there's clearly questions about what happened with this rocket. This rocket is supposed to take the James Webb 
into space, which is uh, nail-biting. So I'm sure that we're going to hear more about what happened here, what the company's going to do to make it right and to keep it from happening in the future. Because as bad as this would have been, losing what I believe now is a $128 trillion telescope would be worse. I know you've got an email open, dear listener, to tell me exactly what the deal is with Arion Space, but I can now uh, reveal that I've looked at the Wikipedia page and can tell you that it is owned by 18 different companies in different European countries and was founded in 1980 and is indeed the world's first commercial launch service provider because it is an international consortium instead of a government that runs Arion Space. So there you go. They've been around a long time. It's absolutely true. And... uh, yeah, so their next big client is the James Webb Space Telescope. <laughs> it's fine. Everybody on Space Twitter was definitely talking about how they, that they're going to need to be sedated for when the James Webb Telescope launches. Uh, <laughs> it's like so many, so many dollars and so much time into crossing your fingers and hoping it doesn't blow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's just move on. <laughs> okay, I don't even want to think about it. You're right. Zombie satellites. Zombie satellites, they're coming to turn regular satellites into monsters. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> oh, boy. So this is a story that unfolded because of this this anomaly last week. So while this is going on, people are looking for these satellites. Oh, it's not this, it's not this anomaly. It's the SpaceX anomaly. That we that we talked about last time, which is the Zuma, the secret oh, satellite. Oh yes, I, I, there's been too many satellite near misses this week, <laughs> this month. I can't I can't keep them straight. Right, my apologies. Because if you don't remember, that was the SpaceX launch where um, the the report was that the secret Zuma mission, which is a military mission, um, had had uh, failed. And SpaceX, all SpaceX will say is we, it, it's all fine from our perspective. Yeah, that's right. And, and they can't say any, no one will say anything else because it's classified, which led to an amateur astronomer looking to see if he could find whatever Zuma is. Uh, and he found something else instead. He, he did. This is another, this is another acronym. You ready? <clears throat> NASA yep. Imager for magnet, Magnetopause to Aurora Global Exploration or image okay so my problem with this one is that image the first word of image is imager <laughs> but w- Take what you whatever image 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 um if you don't know image it's because it was launched in 2000 it completed its initial mission in 2002 so 16 years ago they extended the mission because it was still working fine but in 2005 it stopped broadcasting so, okay, again, 12, 13 years ago, it stops broadcasting. The people at, at, who were on the image team hoped that what would happen is it would be there'd be an eclipse where it would be flying in the, the Earth's shadow in 2007, and they hoped that would reboot it. This is literally, it will turn the, the spacecraft off and back on again, and therefore they hoped to get it in a safe mode. Um, that didn't happen. Like, after the eclipse that it went through, it didn't talk to them and they shut down the project so that why why are we even talking about this now this is the plot twist people um the amateur astronomer scott tilly who was looking for zuma found something else he found something that he thought might actually be uh image but it's talking so what's that about so then nasa says all right we're gonna look and nasa says uh the signal that they're receiving from this object that Scott Tilly found matches what they would expect in terms of frequency of image. So they think it's image two. 
So problem solved, right, Stephen? Solved. Done. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I see the next bullet point is computer fun in capital letters. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is where technology comes in, um, and I know you like this because this is like this is old tech. Um, guess what? The, this is, and I'm going to just quote what NASA said. This is it from a NASA statement. The challenge to decoding the signal is primarily technical. The types of hardware and operating systems used in the Image Mission Operations Center no longer exist, and other systems have been updated several versions beyond where they were at the time, requiring significant reverse engineering. <laughs> oh, I think they're going to have to build like an emulator of old image tech in order to get to figure to literally to talk to the satellite because they can see the signal but they don't know what it's saying because they threw away all of the old stuff that they used to talk to it it's amazing oh boy so if they if they can get it working and they'll they, you know maybe they'll come over to your house and find an old mac to yeah. pull out a storage in circa 2000 anything in my collection they can use uh, I'll, I'll i'll allow it like OS nine, maybe something like that. Uh, but if they can get it working, they'll turn on the science payload, which will let them know what instruments are still functional. And this is this is serious. If it's functional, they will consider putting it into service. And <laughs> it's like uh, you know, find a find a satellite, keep a satellite. Sure. I dibs, guess something right? like Just that. Dibs. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, Finders Keepers. It's pretty, it's I mean, it's NASA. Pretty incredible. I guess if it's Finders Keepers, Scott Tilly would have a satellite now, but NASA is going to try and figure it out. I just, th there are so many stories like this where space stuff is built with custom hardware and custom software, and w and and we've seen this with you know keeping the Voyager stuff alive. Um, with a with a skeleton crew of people who've been working on Voyager for a long time, and some new people who've come in. A lot of the older people are retiring from, but they're keeping their connections with Voyager. Um, about how some of the highest quality video from the moon landing may have been lost in part because they don't have a way to decode mm -hmm. it anymore. And this is another one of those where they tore down image after it was declared lost because why would you keep that stuff around? And now they're trying to reverse engineer a way to talk to it. It's amazing. Is it's honestly it's just so surprising. He's just dope there. Um, but yeah, you're right. In fact, there's been some talk um, uh, about Mars rovers. Another anniversary has come and gone. Mm. And some people were pointing out that it is a testament to the hardware, but it is also a testament to the people, right? To those engineers yes. who keep this stuff running, who turn what what could have been you know, several years of work into several decades of work because they remain committed to what's going on. It really is, really is inspiring. Yeah, Opportunity just had its uh, 14th. 14th anniversary of being in operation on Mars, and it's still going. All right, let's talk about some exoplanets. So uh, part, as part of the K-2 mission, we've got a new, new round of, of planets. We've got three sibling super-Earths, they are orbiting a cool dwarf star. They have got some good names, LP, 415, 17, B, C, and D. When we talk about super-Earth, it means they're uh, structured like our planet is, but much bigger. It's talking about like 1.8 to 2.6 times the radius of the Earth. And these are orbiting very quickly around their parent star with orbits as quick as 6.3 days to 40.72. So they're moving very quickly, very close around this cooler star. Um, yeah, so more more fun K2 stuff. But 
I think the lava world, <laughs> which is next, I think is a little more a little more fun to talk about. Yeah, this is a uh, just just came out this discovery a couple weeks ago of a planet five times the Earth's mass and and uh, it's it's heavy. It's uh, a lot of heavy materials in it. They can tell because it's it's smaller than uh, and denser. It's it's not smaller than the Earth, but it's denser than the Earth, and it's got five times its mass. So there's a lot of iron and other stuff in here, and it orbits a star a lot like our Sun every six days, Woo. which is like way inside of like Mercury's orbit. This is like a sun grazing object, and yet it's orbiting. It's not falling in, <laughs> plopping into the star. It's it's going around it. But every six days, it has a Neptune sized companion that takes about eight days to orbit. So there are a couple of these guys just shooting around uh, this star. And uh, that close to the star, what is uh, what is that planet? It's just a like a molten lava ball. Not super pleasant to visit, as most of these planets no, end up being. But a cool idea, it right? Is. Like the, the idea that because like Mercury is very hot, but it's not like a molten lava ball. But this would be literally, it's a lava ball. It is. It would be incredibly hot on the surface of it. Um, Probably tidally locked. I wonder if it's like lava ball on one side and just uh, rocky yeah. <laughs> and cold on the other side. But uh, kind of spectacular uh, discovery. More weird planets, weird exoplanets. I love it. Like you said, you, just looking at this, you would think that it would be just pulled into the star. And so there's there's some still some exploration to be done around how these planets end up in these orbits. You know, if they're falling to the star and they like, how how do they get where they are? And how do they stay there is something that uh, scientists are still are still working on. But planets like this uh, will help explain that in the future. All right. So we've done rockets. We've done exoplanets. Now we're going to talk about our moon. Yay. Our buddy. That's right. So if you are listening to Liftoff on the day that it comes out, January 30th, 2018, you should listen up. Because if you are in North America, uh, Asia, Australia, or Pacific Rim, you tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow morning, depending on where you are, or uh, yeah, or to or today, or soon. If you're in Australia, I don't know what time it is or day there for this. But you should look it up. We'll put a link in the show notes to it. But if you're listening to this freshly, like within the first uh, day that it's been released, or first twelve hours that it's been released, you should know about the super blue blood moon, which my kids both asked me about yesterday. Super blue blood moon. Which sounds like a kind of candy. <laughs> it's a lot of adjectives. Yeah, it's a lunar eclipse, and it's happening at 5 a.m. my time, 4 a.m., 5 a.m. my time. So uh, my son has demanded that I wake him up, which means I got to wake myself up. Uh, and we'll go outside, and hopefully there won't be clouds, and we will see the super blue blood moon, which is going to be it's going to be the size of uh, a like like it'll cover half the sky. And it will be dripping blood and a strange shade of blue, right? Is that what this means? Yeah, I think you nailed it. <laughs> oh, all right. I mean, it, it, it's worth talking about what these words mean because super means uh, it's a super moon, which is a, not a thing really. But the idea that the moon is closer than average it, it, to the Earth because the moon comes in close and it goes further away. And when it's closer to us, it's a little bit bigger in the sky. Not really so you'd notice, but it is a little bit bigger. And so that makes it a super moon. It's a blue moon because of the calendar, because all a blue moon is, is two full moons in the same calendar month. And since it's going to be the 30th or the 31st, 
I guess it might not be a blue moon in, in Australia. Oh, bummer. But for, for those of us on this side of the international dateline, it's a blue moon. And then blood moon is just, that's what happens in lunar eclipses is they get red because uh, around the edges of the earth, um, you get the sunrise and sunset, essentially, uh, which is that reddish, orangish color. And that light still is cast on the moon's surface. So rather than it going totally black, it goes to this deep red. And that's what they like to call the blood moon. So you put them all together and you got the super blue blood moon. There you go. I totally, I'm totally not surprised that your kids asked about this. It is everywhere. Like on the news, yeah. Facebook, people who don't you know, normally pay attention to space stuff. Um, so uh, yeah, it'll be fun. So I, uh, so you're going to get up hopefully. Um, yeah. I'm planning on getting up. So, uh, my plan is to go down by the river where it's very flat and you're kind of up above the horizon a little bit. I should have a good view. It's supposed to be, uh, cold, but clear. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping to have a good view in the morning. Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll be out there. I'll be out there too. <laughs> uh, so on February 12th, pending any additional government shutdowns, will be uh, NASA's State of NASA event. This is sort of like a, I guess, kind of like a State of the Union for the agency. And NASA Social, which we've both taken a, taken part of in the past, holding events all around the country. Uh, you will be at NASA Ames, so you'll get to watch, the, I guess, the simulcast of the, the event. And then there's, like, tours and stuff of whatever wherever yeah. you are. Um I am planning on being at Stennis down in southern Mississippi where they test fire uh, rocket motors. It should, be, it should be very exciting. Uh, we don't get a test firing, but uh, my plan is to drive down there. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we have an episode that week. And so I think um, I think we may be a day late or two. We haven't worked out the planning, but uh, we will be talking hopefully about our experiences with that. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. And um, so I spoke. I did the Falcon 9 that broke up in 2015. But you went uh, in 2016, right? Yeah. So I've I've done two national NASA socials because I did the the um, final space shuttle launch. That was actually a NASA tweet up before they changed the name to be more open to other forms of social networking. And then I did the in 2016. I went to Ames, and um, that was episode 14 of liftoff. I talked about that. So hopefully they'll have a a, a bunch of fun stuff to show us uh, this time too. I, I I signed up and I got approved. So. I'll show my government ID at the door, and they'll take <laughs> us around, and it's a full day at, at Ames. And if it's anything like the last time, they'll they'll have a few stops for us to show us some interesting stuff that's being worked on, mm-hmm. and have some presentations in a in a uh, an auditorium, and then um, and then later in the afternoon there'll be like the the video conference or teleconference with uh, that's everywhere that is NASA wide. Yeah, it should be fun. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, they were doing one in Huntsville as well. Those approvals haven't been sent out yet. I applied to both, but in thinking about it and talking to you, you can do a lot of stuff in Huntsville without any like special credentials. But Stennis is like not, not a visitor type place. Mm. You know, you don't you don't like walk through and learn about stuff. Um, so so going to Stennis is I think a more rare treat. So I think my plan is to drive the six hours or whatever it is to uh, to do that. Yeah, that's a, that's a quite a bit of a drive, but it is it is. <laughs> it's shorter than, than I think, driving to Kennedy, like I did for the Falcon Nine launch. It was yeah. awful. No, that's that's a it's a cool opportunity to go there, and then that leaves Huntsville open for you and I to yes. do a a field trip sometime, yes. which I think we're going to have to do. I realize that you're within driving distance of of it's Huntsville, like three, where it's Werner like von Braun three and a half hours <laughs> built all his rockets. So I thought, yeah, that may, one of these days I'm going to just come and visit you, and we're going to do a space field trip. That'll be good. All right, so we're going to get into 
some Apollo missions. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor this week, and that is Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Eero have created the dream Wi-Fi setup, a fast, reliable connection throughout your house and even in the backyard. Now is the best time to get on board with Eero as they've just released their new super slick second generation devices. They've also introduced the new tri-band second gen model along with Eero Beacon, and these allow you to build a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored to your home. This new second generation Eero includes a third 5 gigahertz radio, making it twice as fast before, and this lets you do more than ever. Whatever your Wi-Fi needs, Eero has the power to blanket your entire home in fast reliable Wi-Fi. The base just sits on any flat surface. You plug it into the wall with the included power adapter and you're ready to connect to your Eero either via Ethernet or wirelessly. So you don't have to run cables all over your house for this to work. The new Eero also includes a new thread radio and this allows you to connect to low power devices like smart locks, doorbells, and more. And the Eero Beacon is really cool. You plug it into a wall to easily expand coverage into any room and you can add as many beacons as you want as long as you have that one main base station. And the beacon even includes a built-in LED nightlight with ambient light sensor. So you can put it in a spare bedroom or in a hallway and it acts as a nightlight. It's really pretty cool. The Euro app lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand and you can easily create and share a guest network when people come over. And if you get stuck, their customer support, it's amazing. You call and you get a hold of a Wi-Fi expert in just 30 seconds. Now, a lot of routers and, and all this stuff, they're really complicated to use and set up. You have some web interface, and that can be really frustrating. Even for somebody like me, I know what I'm doing. Uh, you can really get bogged down in this. But the Euro app in particular is is really incredible. The setup process is very easy. You can go in and change things. You can see what's connected on your network. You can go in and name things, so you can very quickly see uh, what's what. It's really, really well done. The new Eero system starts at $399 for one second-generation Eero and two beacons, and that's everything you need to get started. Listeners of this show can get free overnight shipping to the U.S. or Canada when you head to Eero.com and use the promo code LIFTOFF. That's Eero.com with the promo code LIFTOFF for free overnight shipping. We thank Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so Apollo 4 and 5. We're gonna think we're gonna leave six. Six is a <laughs> barrel of fun. Six is gonna be good because it's gonna we're gonna do that close to the fiftieth. We're gonna get on the fiftieth anniversary train with Apollo six and start and start tracking the Apollo program in real time from there. That's right, real time, but five decades late. Close enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like that Lord of the Rings account I follow that tells the story of the Lord of the Rings in real time. Like, that didn't happen, but they figured out when everything would have happened, and it's great. There's, like, a World War II account that does that, too. That's great. So we're going to take some inspiration from that and do a sort of, like, after this, we're going to dive into sort of, like, you'll be able to know as you listen, like, oh, now here's the next mission. Uh, This is how long it takes. Because it happens fast. (laughs) Like, it happens really fast. The, The major crude milestones of Apollo that lead to the landing is a shockingly short amount of time. Apollo 4, you want to kick us off? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, this was the first uncrewed test of the Saturn V. So this is Werner von Braun's baby. This is the G- the huge rocket we talked about earlier in the context of Falcon Heavy being the the, the biggest rocket to launch since this uh, Saturn V stopped launching. It was also the first launch from the brand new Launchpad 39A. That is where the Falcon Heavy is sitting right now as we record this. 
Um, Apollo 4 was an all-up test, meaning all rocket stages and spacecraft were fully functional on the initial flight. They wanted to test everything, try everything with Apollo 4. It was the first flight for the S1C and S2 stages, the first to feature an in-flight relighting of the S4B. So a lot of uh, a lot of firsts here because it was all up. And the command service module carried at the top of the stack was also fully functional. And it would mark the first time the capsule would re-enter the Earth's atmosphere at the speed of a lunar return trajectory. So the idea is you go up, you test everything on the way up, and you're coming back in fast enough to really put that heat shield through its paces. Now, this was a Block 1 spacecraft. We talked about this several times now where there are kind of two versions of the early command module. This is a Block 1, but they had upgraded the heat shield and some of the antennas to match what Block 2 would be. So kind of a hybrid spacecraft here, um, but one that was built for this test. Yeah, the re-entry thing really worried them because, you know, low Earth orbit for a, a little moonshot is not the is not the same, right? Like low Earth orbit, you're just kind of going around and then you come down, whereas coming back from the moon, you're going to be going fast. You're going to have totally different. So they, they were going to emulate that, simulate that, and they wanted to do that with, uh, with the test hardware, then they would want to do it later with astronauts. Um, and that's a, def- a different story that we'll get to uh, down the road. <laughs> this flight was originally labeled AS-501 and scheduled for late 1966, but it got pushed back after delays at North American, uh, one of the contractors, and the period where the whole program was grounded after Apollo 1. After, uh, that, was, uh, after that happened, Apollo 4, the command module, they inspected it, because, again, there's recommitment in the Apollo project to a lot of attention to detail. Right. They found hundreds of manufacturing defects, including dozens of wires that had had insulation stripped away. After four months of repairs, the command and service module was remated to the rocket within the giant vehicle assembly building. Launch occurred on November 9th at 7 a.m. after weeks of delay. And, again, this was the most powerful vehicle to ever lift off from Kennedy. The sound waves created by the five F-1 engines were so strong, it rattled the giant vehicle assembly building and the press buildings. And these are like miles away. Seismometers as far north as New York could measure the shaking. Plaster dust fell on all the consoles at Mission Control. And usually those things are kept super clean. Now there's dust everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually have an audio clip of Walter Cronkite, the, the epitome of like... solid news anchor just losing his mind (laughs) as ceiling tiles fell down around him five four we have ignition all engines are running we have liftoff we have liftoff at 7 a.m eastern standard time the tower my god our building's shaking here our building's shaking Terrific! The building's shaking. This big glass window is shaking. That we're holding it with our hands. Look at that rocket go into the clouds at 3,000 feet. The roar is terrific. Look at it going. You can see it. You can see it. Part of our roof is coming here. Yeah, that's an amazing clip uh, in the book Apollo 8, which uh, I recommend to people, Jeffrey Kluger's book, the same guy who wrote Apollo 13 with uh, with Jim Lovell. Uh, he, re- he he describes 
Walter Cronkite as being like a kid, like it's his favorite thing <laughs> to watch that Saturn V go up. It's amazing. Uh, fortunately, the world's largest rocket ever did not explode, did not have a rapid uh, disassembly, and uh, put the S-4B and the command service module into a nearly circular 100 nautical mile orbit. Sensors indicated that if astronauts had been aboard, they would have been healthy and safe. They didn't get rattled around too badly. It was it was a smooth launch. After two orbits, the S-4B's very first in-space re ignition again remember you're turning you're turning off the engine and then you've got to reignite to change because you're going to kick them to the moon ultimately that reignition put the spacecraft into an elliptical orbit then the command service module separated from the s4b fired its service module engine another first there right to uh, to adjust the spacecraft's orbit to mimic that angle at which the command module would return from the moon and eight hours after launch the command module splashed down eight miles away from its target not bad in the pacific ocean in January uh, 1968, when we were talking about Apollo 5, and it was the first test of the lunar module. And this was powered by the Saturn S-1B. So the five Saturn V flew on Apollo 4, but not on Apollo 5. Uh, this, this rocket was actually the one that had been designated for Apollo 1, but it was unharmed in the fire, so it was used here. The mission goals included testing... Uh, the lunar module in space, firing its descent and ascent engine systems and testing its ability to separate. So if you remember, it has to go down to the moon and land, and then the bottom part stays on the moon and they separate and the ascent stage goes up to rendezvous in lunar orbit. So all of those burns had to be tested. Uh, the mission also performed a simulation of a landing abort, uh, in which case the ascent stage is fired while still attached to the de- descent stage. Uh, they call that fire in the hole, which just cracks me up. Um, so all these burns were scheduled for this this mission to really put the limb through its paces. Uh, this was all planned to go off in April of 67, but it was also played, plagued by delays. Um, mostly they were related to the motors on the limb, notably a glass window shattered while pressurizing the cabin. That's not good. You don't want that. That's Mm -mm. A decision was made to replace the glass windows in LEM-1 with aluminum plates, just like, look, we're not going to, let's just do that and we'll fix it for later (laughs) later models. This one doesn't need them. There are no people in here. Let's not worry about it. So that's what they did and figured they'd find a solution later later when people were going to be in the LEM. Uh, This mission did not go off perfectly. After two Mm -hmm. orbits... The first uh, planned descent engine burn is going to be 39 seconds. That burn was started, but aborted by the Apollo guidance computer after only four seconds. Turns out what happened is that shortly before launch, there was a suspected fuel leak, and a decision was made to delay arming the engine until the time of ignition, I guess in case that that leak was real. Uh, But this change in timing had not been communicated to the programmers, so the Apollo guidance computer... It's up there flying around and sees this burn happen sort of out of time and shut it down as it was designed. Mission Control was able to bypass uh, the AGC and basically manually fire the descent engine to kind of keep going with its tests. Yeah, but wait, there's more. The LEM's ascent engine also suffered from a computer error. It failed to account for the fact that half of the mass of the ship had already separated, so it thought it was twice as heavy as it actually was, and that caused the LEM to tumble around in orbit. Its thrusters were compensating for the wrong mass. Um, 
Yeah, after 11 hours and 10 minutes, the test was over. The control of the two stages was terminated, and they eventually burned up in the atmosphere. You know, the LEM is not meant to ever re-enter right. anywhere. It's just uh, like tinfoil. <laughs> <Yeah>. And tape. <laughs> it's, uh, there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing there. Um, press coverage called it a success because they flew the LEM and they tried out all the stuff. Hooray! But NASA knew the truth, which was that there were people in LEM-1 when all of that was going on, they wouldn't have made it. So uh, not, again, one of those things where a lot of things got tested, but there were also a lot of tough lessons learned when they've got the idea that they want to start putting crews in these things pretty soon. So there definitely some serious concerns with what happened with Apollo 1 hanging over everybody's heads. And, and it did not go as well. The short version is five didn't go as well as four did. Four, everything worked pretty well. The Saturn five looked good. Um, but Apollo 5 had issues, lots of firsts, but a lot of issues. And uh, and that was all going to need to be dealt with when in April of 1968, they would come back with Apollo 6, which I suppose we'll talk about in April of 2018. It's going to be great. Uh, if you want to find show notes and links for the stuff we've been talking about today, you can do so over on our website, relay.fm slash liftoff slash 65. Chances are they're in the app that you're listening to this in right now. You can get in touch with us there. You can send us an email. There's a link over there on the sidebar. Or you can find us on Twitter. The show is at Liftoff Podcast. You can follow Jason at J Snell. That's Snell with two L's. Sneaky second L in there. And you can find me on Twitter as ISMH. And until our next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Adios. Zombie satellite versus super blue blood moon. <laughs> 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 <laughs>